0: Hello and Bienvenido San Antonio. Welcome to the Alamo Hour, discussing the people, places, and passion that make our city. My name is Justin Hill, a local attorney, a proud San Antonian, and keeper of chickens and bees. On the Alamo Hour, you'll get to hear from the people that make San Antonio great and unique and the best kept secret in Texas. We're glad that you're here. All right, welcome to the Alamo Hour. Today's guest is Poncho Navarez. Uh, Poncho is a current state rep of District 74. Yeah. Yeah, covering Eagle Pass all the way out through Big Bend. I think it's one of, if not the biggest political district in the contiguous U.S. in the world. Well, you know, probably not. <laughs> uh, he's an injury attorney. He's a musician. He's a rancher. He has a Watusi or, or, or three, maybe. Uh, father, husband, friend. Uh, admittedly, and he just wrote a big article about it. We'll talk about some, uh, an alcoholic and an addict, uh, when he's not running for re-election. Um, he is working on an album apparently, which we're going to talk about a little bit as well. Poncho, thanks for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. I, uh, I couldn't help but in the promo you were talking about. This is about San Antonians for San Antonians. And I, I would ask, I spent a good part of my adult life in San Antonio for uh, law school, and then because of my law practice. So if they'll claim me, I, I, I'll say I'm somewhat from San Antonio. So. So,
0: so you're co-opting me here. I mean, it's a show about San Antonio, but there's a lot of people that have some interaction or have lived here at the, in the past that, that they have something to add about our city as well.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I, it's kind of like uh, Eagle Pass. I'd say it doesn't matter where you go. There's some connection to Eagle Pass. You could be you know, standing outside the pyramids of Giza, and there's somebody from Eagle Pass there. <laughs> I think the same thing applies to uh, San Antonio. It's the same thing.
0: Well, good. You've got something to add. When I met you, you had a home here, you had an office here. Uh, I think you still practice law here on occasion.
1: Yeah, I uh, I think that was back in like maybe 2005 or six, a bit, right?
0: Um, well, you went to law school here, and then you and I would have met around 2007, eight. And then we worked on that case through 11, probably.
1: Yeah, so I graduated law school in 99. And then uh, I was away, I was here in Eagle Pass for a few years. And then I moved back. And then Mio Chaplin and I partnered up. And uh, we're in San Antonio. And, um, you know, I, I really look back on, and that was back in 2005 when Mio and I got together. He'll deny this, but we put that firm together at a Hooters.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not surprised by this
1: story. We are, uh, we're going to go to Vegas that that night, I think. It was me, Jason Holscher, and Mier. We're going to go to Vegas, and we were killing some time, and that's where we formed the firm.
0: Well, so, uh, you know, I, I do kind of a top 10. It It's just a general number of questions. Sometimes it's three, sometimes it's 10. Um, with all of my guests, give some sort of flavor and background on who you are. The first one was talk to us about your time in San Antonio, so we've already knocked that one out. Next thing I want to ask you is, what are some of your favorite places in San Antonio that people maybe maybe don't know about? We we talk about it, hidden gems in the city.
1: I like uh, I like the McNay, the museum, a whole bunch, man. I really do. I, I lived in that neighborhood, uh, different parts of, of Alamo Heights, uh, through my last year, my last two years of law school, and uh, and then it was the first home that I bought over off of uh, North New Braunfels, and so I really enjoy the McNay. Uh, there's a cafe there, too. twin sisters. Um, I really like South Florida street. Like just to me, Latin America starts in downtown San Antonio. Like that's, that's where Latin America begins. And so I, I have an affinity for that. Uh, I love the mission trail. It's great. Um, there's uh man there. I can go on and on, but those are places that I, and I, I'm a big, I love the Alamo man. I, that's just one of those places that, uh, that I'll never um I'll never not want to go to or or experience
0: it's just one of those places. The missions are like that with me now. The first time I went, I'd lived here 4 years and thought how did it take me so long to get there? Um what does prone to brawling mean?
1: I don't know like I <laughs> <laughs> It reminded me when I read that, I, one, I'd forgotten they'd said that about me, and I, it, it reminded me of a speech that uh, Dr. Evil gives in the, in, the first, uh, in the first Austin Powers that he said his dad was prone to buggery.
0: Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. right. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. I, and for background, the Texas Monthly uh, did a little bit on Poncho, and they said of many uh, adjectives that he was prone to brawling, and I, I didn't know what that meant.
1: Well, you know, they, they, I don't know, kindly is, I think maybe two, the session before or two sessions before they, uh, they had likened me to Sam Houston and I'm starting to think like, not the good parts, right? (laughs) Not the good
0: Sam Houston. All right. Well, maybe you'll have a, you know, 80 foot marble statue made of you at some point. Um, one time I was. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So one time I was in, uh, in DC and I got a tour of the Capitol and I learned all these sort of neat, weird tidbits about the Capitol. Do you have any of those about the Austin Capitol that people might not know about?
1: Yes. Uh, there is, uh, one, it's a fantastic place. And if you haven't been there when, uh, we get past all this madness, you should go cause it's just great. But it's, I want to say by just a little bit, it's, it's taller than the U.S. Capitol, which is by design. And then uh, I was told my first session that my desk had been Sam Johnson's desk, which had been Lyndon B. Johnson's dad. So I was told that Lyndon B. Johnson would play at his father's feet at the desk. I don't believe that to be true. Hey, cool story. I mean, I thought so. And so, uh, (laughs) you know, one of the other things, too, is the original, during session, the original battle flag from – San Jacinto is exhibited behind the speaker's dais, and so only during the session is the original battle flag there, which is pretty damn cool. Um, it's just one of those neat places, man. That uh, in I remember my my first session, I would I would look up at the place and think about like one all the characters that had been in there, and then two just the uh, the amount of uh, history, man, like the conversations, the, you know, all kinds of stuff. And it just, uh, it can't help, but affect you in a good way. I think.
0: How can a, a normal, you know, Joe, like me go get a good tour of the Capitol?
1: Uh, you know, I got four more months there. I can okay. give you one. <laughs> all right. All right.
0: But I mean, do you just contact your, uh, congressman or your state rep? I mean, yeah,
1: yeah, that's exactly right. That's probably the best way is to go. You can get a tour and the tour guides are phenomenal. You know, I, I used to, uh, sneak away on some days when, you know, uh, stuff would get really heavy and follow the tours. Huh. And I learned a lot, you know, yep. following the tours, but, uh, your, your, your state representative's office should be able to guide you on a pretty good tour.
0: Okay. Uh, I asked Ina this when she was on the show a couple weeks back, uh, any unlikely friendships a, a, in Austin that you formed?
1: Yeah, man, you make uh, you'd be surprised. Like, uh, I got along really good with a lot of these guys that you would think publicly, uh, I mean, I wouldn't have any business with them, but, you know, guys like uh, Briscoe Kane.
0: Oh, that was going to be the name because her, I did Stickland, and she said they actually were really good friends. <laughs>
1: and I, I got a lot of good with, and, I mean, we would. I mean, sometimes we'd get into it, uh, but I don't know, dude. I just, uh, like, especially Briscoe, I could really, uh, I could relate a lot to him because he was trying so hard all the time, and he's a really smart guy. Uh, you know, he's just he's got this vent that I don't understand, but I guess he looks at me the same way. So
0: he looks uh, very young,
1: you know, he, he, but he's, he's pretty wise when he's not.
0: <laughs> okay. uh, was Rinaldi the one that you, uh, butted heads with?
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of weird is in hindsight. Um, you know, one of the things that you do as a recovering alcoholic and addict is you try to make amends where you can. And, you know, I, I I probably owe the guy an apology for getting physical with him because you should never do that. Uh, although I say that, I'd probably do it again.
0: <laughs> well, now I know what prone to brawling means.
1: <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but I, but I, you know, in all in all seriousness, I think the, uh, you know, that there there was something uh, about. I mean, he just wasn't a very happy guy. Like nothing, you know, unless he was taking. Lunch money away from school children, or he just wasn't <laughs> happy, man. And I, you know, is what he still there? No, he, he lost, and I mean, yeah, I hope he's doing well. Yeah. I really do. I don't wish the guy ill.
0: Okay, you've got a new album coming out. We'll talk about it a little bit, but who would you compare the sound to?
1: You know, I I I, I hope it sounds like uh like. T-Rex in the Sweet had a love child with Jason Isbell and Ryan Adams, but I know it doesn't. It just, I, you know, I'm, I, I started thinking about when I started writing songs and, you know, some of the artists that, that influenced me and I, you know, I, I grew up listening to a lot of rock and roll in the seventies and, and, uh, you know, I wanted it to sound rough and it does like, there's something really uh, grainy about it. I can't, uh, describe it. Like it's really, uh, it's really mean where it needs to be mean. And, and it's a rock record. And you know, if somebody was asking me like, what's, you know, what kind of music is it? I don't know. Uh, it's fast. Sometimes it's slow. Sometimes, uh, it's loud, it's twangy, you know, it's, uh, and it's, and it's, uh, it's rough, you know, and I, I, um, uh, I take credit for all of that shit.
0: <laughs> is there a release date?
1: Well, I, I keep, I'm trying to pin myself down, but I'm avoiding that because I don't know. I'm, I may have told you this last week when we we're texting back and forth is that I've got, um, we're finishing up most of the vocal work this week. So it should be in a form for us to be able to start mixing it next week. And I can't wait because I'm already hearing some of the stuff that we've been doing as we finish uh, each track. And, um, uh, you know, there, there was one song that I just kind of had some doubts about and I just went back and I reworked it. And I'm a lot happier about it. I, you know, I, I resisted the urge to allow myself to be married to certain things and saying, well, this is the way it's got to be because it's got to be. And I allowed myself to be guided by what I call, you know, really talented producer and and, uh, and musician too because he's helped me musically on the record too. And I, uh, it, it's worked because I'd been reading this, autobiography, or not autobiography, but a biography of Tom Petty. And he made a point uh, in stressing about how, you know, you can change everything up until the last minute. And, uh, and I, it's not that I'm very indecisive about a lot of things, but it allows for a lot of flexibility. And I think that uh, long answer to your short question is, I don't know when the release date is.
0: Okay, well, it's not the longest question answer I've gotten before. Uh, what is your current lineup of uh, animals at your uh, home menagerie? You bought a house that had almost essentially a zoo in it. Uh, You kept some of them. What do you have now? Do you still have a kookaburra?
1: The kookaburra was eaten by a puma. (laughs) Is that true? True, man. There was one lone feather (laughs) in an orange tree that survived the attack. And then a very traumatized wakamaya uh, that, because of the trauma of surviving the attack, pulls the breath. Well, before he... He died an untimely death. He actually, I think he committed suicide. Okay. And so I had a—he would pull his breast feathers out, and uh, I can only surmise that he had survivor's guilt. Okay. And I I hate to—I hate to diagnose. uh, No, go go for it. I think he had like PTSD, dude. Okay. And uh, he had some depression. All right. And I really believe that he ended his life untimely, and I. I wish, you know, I had I had a, a vet that came by to help me with some other animals. And I asked her, she, I went to high school with her. So I asked her, I said, uh, Claudia, what do you think? Well, she needs a a bird psychologist. I'm like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a thing.
1: I guess. I Or a joke. I, I did my best. But look, two sick people together cannot help each other. That's, so I was that's a, little a good annoyed. point.
0: That's a good point. <laughs> do you still have the Watusi?
1: Yeah, we. I, I moved him out to... Uh, well, we affectionately call the bigger ranch where we got about 500 acres. and I, I moved them out there, and they're doing real well. Uh, and I've got another herd of about 50 uh, Gruyere cattle that, that we got on there. And so, you know, they're they've got uh, they've they've got a better chance out there. And you know, we still have fallow deer, the access deer. I've got Dorpers now too, which you know, those Dorpers are something else, bro. You can put them in a parking lot. What's a Dorper? It's it's a sheep. Okay. And so, uh, it's a lamb, they're lambs, right? And so, they they uh, you put them in a parking lot, they'll eat rocks, you know, they'll eat anything. <laughs> they want them ate half of my catcher's mitt, which is pretty sad.
0: Well, why did it have it?
1: Well, I set it down while I was playing catch with my son, I set it down, and when I looked at it again, he had eaten it.
0: So, oh. any other animals in the cages? We have uh, we have a parrot that is uh, um,
1: he's. The parrot is really, the cockaburro uh, uh, the, the cock- <laughs> <the> cock- <laughs> is good at rem, uh, mimicking voices. Okay. So, not necessarily the words, but the sound of your voice and, and the cadence. So, you'd say something, he'd say it right back to you in a few minutes, almost the way you said it. You know, it was obviously nonsense. Yeah. But what you were saying was probably nonsense anyway, right? But uh, the, the, the reason I'm, I believe the, the bird learned that is because we leave the radio on, so he was always constantly mimicking like the whoever the DJ was. I mean, if you
0: take this too far, I'm going to start wondering how bad your addiction got in those time periods. Just you know, now your kookaburra is talking to you, and you know. I mean,
1: I didn't talk back to it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you were city council person at one point. You were no, state school, yeah. school board, school board, um, state rep. Are those the only two elected positions you had, other than class, you know, president or whatever?
1: uh yeah that, that's it man have you,
0: I, uh, have you been to any fiesta events
1: it's been a long time man I, I think the last one I went to was last in 20 shit 2019 we went to the IBC uh, parade you know we were at the IBC bank building for the river parade yeah and uh you know that, that stuff's always nice man fiesta is such a great time
0: I, I love it I mean I'm a huge advocate of it um So I want to talk to you about the legislator. The last thing I want to ask you in sort of our top 10 is what was, what has been the most important piece of advice that you have been given in your, in your path to recovery? Uh,
1: There's been a lot, but if I had to pick one, it's live in the present. That's the biggest one, live in the present. Um, one of the one of the things that overwhelms it overwhelms people that are sane or that are not suffering with this disease it is living too far in the past or futurizing everything. And you know a lot of times people will mistake, well the guy's nostalgic. Or if you futurize things, well he's uh he likes to plan ahead or you know, he's thinking several moves ahead. Well, you can do that without living in the past and without losing what you're doing today. And I, you know, I keep that living in the present applies to a lot of things. I just keep things in front of me that I need to keep in front of me. And, uh, and it's not that I don't think about my future. I, I, I think about it and I hope I have one and that it's healthy, but it doesn't, my future won't matter if I don't do the things today that that I need to do that are important to me and that, that make me happy, you know, and I'm not talking about that indulge some petty notion of happiness that I have. I'm talking about happy and it was always there for me. I just lost it. And, uh, the further I got along in my disease, the further I got along in, in feeding, you know, my, my dark angels or the worst part of my angels. I lost sight of that, and it just—you uh, know—winning wasn't it wasn't something to to be happy about. I was relieved, you know. Losing was just—it was gut wrenching. And I don't feel like that anymore. I don't feel like that today.
0: Yeah, good. Well, we're gonna—I want to talk more about that, but I want to talk about something. Um, you wrote a big essay that was just released. at a bunch of people on Twitter passing it around, but some of the things that stuck out with me. Um, we're sort of about your frustration, uh, in working in the legislature and just for a little bit of background, I mean, you were, you're in your third term.
1: No, then I, I this is my fourth term. Fourth term. So.
0: And last, last session you got, you were given some really big committee, uh, chairs. You were appointed to some really powerful committees. What, what have sort of been your roles uh, in the legislature and how has it progressed?
1: You know, I, 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 just like anybody else, I, I mean, I just, you know, you start at the bottom sort of, and I, I was uh, fortunate, you know, my second session, uh, you know, kind of worked my way up from there, and, you know, Speaker Strauss was good enough to see something in me and give me an opportunity on some good committees, and that, that carried over to the last session that he was a speaker, which was my third, and, uh, you know, and this is my fourth and, and what will now be my final session, you know, Speaker Bonin. Uh, was good enough to to give me that responsibility up until that point I'd been vice chair of that committee for two sessions going in and so it seemed logical that I would get the chair but nothing's ever logical in in the legislature but I got it and you know and I I think I wrote in the article that uh, in the essay that I was I'd become a more influential figure and I, I think I had but it just the the amount of pressure that one feels to be able to deliver some things that that especially when you're in the minority party, you have to dodge 141 days of, of stated and undercurrent opposition to just about everything you do. And it became, uh, I just wasn't enjoying myself. I, I, I just, the, the process was so frustrating to me, so dehumanizing in terms of what you can do, the pandering you have to do sometimes to get it done. And, and frankly, it, it was, and I'll say this is I shouldn't, I felt that way. It wasn't anybody that it wasn't the, the process is what it is. Like I can't sit there and say these people are to blame for it. I mean, I'm a, I'm the one that allowed myself to feel that way. I let it overwhelm me, but the truth is for most of us, if we're being honest about the process as we're there, there's a lot bad about it, man. And that's just unavoidable. And if you can, if you can keep yourself sane and healthy and readjust your attitudes about a lot of things on a continuous basis, then you're going to be okay. I, I just couldn't anymore. And, you know, a lot of a lot of legislators can do that because they're not in the scrum all the time. And, and I was, you know, for lack of, you know, more often than not, I was right there. And uh, that's just the way I've always been.
0: Well, you talked about in that article that there were three constituencies that you had to deal with. You had to deal with your colleagues, your voters, and then you sort of just talked about interests. Um, is it fair to say that basically on every single in- issue there's going to be people for and against? I mean, is that one of the sort of surprising things about dealing with it?
1: I, I can't think of even the issues you, you would believe that would have some sort of unanimous wave at a forum. I just can't think of anything really game changing that would have that. It's just, it doesn't really happen. You know, unless we're like, there's a resolution, you know, the name every day, taco day or something like everyone's <laughs> going to get with that. Yeah. But, uh, I just, little you know, league
0: you, baseball resolution type stuff. You know,
1: like, yeah. but then, you know, you want to do one of these when you get that done, but the <laughs> truth is like really hard substantive matters. You're, you're gonna have some strange bedfellows in terms of who's with you and who's against you, right? And a lot of times, the interests that you have at home collide with what you know is the best thing to do for not just your district but for the state. And it's uh, you have to balance those things. And you know, one of the things that uh, I, I I used to be really good at is just you know saying no uh, and being really blunt. And I think I, I think my bluntness has survived my addiction. And it, and I needed it to, to be honest with you. Uh, but you, you really have to be able to put people to check them, so to speak, and check their expectations because the the place is all at once. It could be wonderful and terrible.
0: So I have to assume, and I am assuming because I haven't done it. You have that the lifestyle lends itself to maybe a you know casual drinker becomes a heavy drinker or just the pressures of the nonstop lifestyle, what was it like uh, sort of day to day during the the 140 days of session?
1: You know, there's a lot, there's a lot, well, there's a lot of opportunities for if, if you have a predilection to drinking, there's a lot of opportunities for that. I mean, it just, there's always something going on. And that's not, and I'm talking about me personally, that's not, I don't want to justify my behavior by saying, well, uh, it's, it's like that you know me I came in there already predisposed to being this way and I couldn't say no I didn't have any will to say no and and a lot of people can navigate that stuff because they don't have the disease you know a lot of people can have a drink or two drinks I can't like that's just not me you know and it, it really never has been me and you know there's there's a lot of that and there's a lot of that everywhere but it just seems it's really compacted into this 141 days and the, and you know the further the deeper you get into the session the days are longer and it what's, just a, seems...
0: what's a general day like during session i mean it's monday through thursday for the most part right
1: yeah you get uh, and i give you to me the 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 day that it's more imprinted on me are the days if you will you know you're up at you know, seven, 7.30 or earlier to make a breakfast with somebody, uh, you have meetings in your office with constituents, uh, people that have uh, interest in issues before the legislature, lobbyists, uh, different advocacy groups. You may meet with other colleagues, you may have caucus meetings, uh, you may do some media, you hit the floor at 10 and then a lot of times it's hurry up and wait on X, Y, and Z and then things get heated up. And before you know it, it's, you know, 10 o'clock at night, eight o'clock at night. And, you know, you go home, you know, you pound a, a lot of bourbon. I, I mean, speaking for myself and, uh, you know, you do some blow and then you do it again. You know, that's that. I mean, that's, that's the way it was for me. And I, I don't say that because I'm trying to sound rock and roll, but in the end, that's the way it was for me. And, and, whether it's that or you're overeating, like there's always something, man. And if you don't watch yourself, that's how it's going to go. And, you know, I I tried to channel a lot of those frustrations into some of the more creative things I was doing. You know, I'd I'd play my music and I'd write my music, but it just wasn't enough, man. And, and for me at least, and uh, it just made me sicker and sicker and sicker. And I'd like to think that I as injured as I was, I could still play, but the truth is, you know, looking back and, and feeling the way I feel now, like it's, it's a miracle. I could play it all,
0: you know? Yeah, no, I agree. I've, you know, you and I have been friends for 10 years now and years. Yeah, yeah, but,
1: uh, 12,
0: 12. Yeah. I mean, there was a time when I'd come, come up and see you or come down and see, you and there was a little bit of a disconnect from the times when we just sat around and, you know, bullshitted and riffed off each other. It was a little bit of a different personality. Um, you talk about in your article sort of some of the things that you were most passionate about kind of would get stuck in the mud, and it almost made it sound like some of the issues that everybody cares about or anybody cares about, it's almost flipping a coin as to whether something's going to happen. And I've reached out to you before, and I've said, hey, does this bill have a chance? And you always just say, yeah, it's a legislator. Everything has a chance. So talk to me about some of the issues that were most important to you that you spent most of your time working on in those, in those sessions that you worked.
1: You know, I I, I really did. Uh, uh, you know, my first session, I worked on some higher ed stuff for, for Roth Ross State, which is local University, and I, and I uh, it was really important. And I really didn't have a, a grasp or a concept of the things I could do. And being in the minority, you know, you're checked. And you know, you had, you know, there's certain certain uh, when you're in the majority, there's certain people that are coming in that you know, their tickets punched the minute they get there because they're, they're going to they're gonna succeed because they have to, you know. And so I don't I'm, – I'm never going to know what that feels like because I'm not going back. And there may – there's more than likely going to be a majority Democrats. And so I, I wish them well when they have the wind at their backs It's going to be a very difficult session. But I'll give you an example. This last session, I, I worked just about from day one till the last day on a bill that would have connected Laredo to Eagle Pass via Old Mines Road and the uh, old Laredo Highway, uh, that would have shaved about 45 minutes off the driving time from Laredo to Eagle Pass, and and it failed in the last days of the session. And it, it really crushed me, uh, Justin. I mean, it, it, uh, it was kind of a microcosm for how I felt about the whole process by then and how frustrated I'd become with it, uh, how a lot of these things that you would look at. And I'm by no means is... I think all of us as legislators have this frustration where something that we believe is the greatest thing since sliced bread, you know, to the other 100, you know, 148 yahoo's, now would not I say 148 cuz I would never call the speaker of the house of yahoo. <laughs> uh, but
0: 149
1: yahoo's including myself, you know, we all think every idea we have is the the greatest, right? And it's not. They're not.
0: And then, who was it? Did it just die due to time, or was there some interest group who was against it?
1: Uh, you know what? It. I don't know if there was an interest group, but there was certainly uh, uh, some some legislators that were not for it. Not. I, I can't tell you why. I mean, they. You know, again, is I thought it was a great idea. They didn't, uh, and I don't know if it was had to do with me personally, or were they just personally objected to. Uh, you know there being a road built down here. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I just know that it almost it's maddening that they would get in the way of something like that. And 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 to the normal person, they're like, well, why would they do that? And my answer to you is I don't know.
0: I yeah. don't know. And there's got to be a lot of that at the legislator.
1: There's a lot of ticky tack petty shit that goes on. And you know, you again that's like I said in the essay that shit's going to go on whether I'm there or not. You know, it's not like I'm leaving and now everybody's going to stop being ticky tacky and petty that they were just doing that shit to me. No, it's, you know, you, you have to be able and I used to be able to brush it away and get past it and I just couldn't anymore. And I don't know, you know, it's kind of like the chicken or the egg. Like what was really affecting me there is I couldn't control my emotions or my disease was getting, I was out over my skis because of my disease. I don't know the answer to that, but together those things kind of revolving, they don't help.
0: Uh, Lyle Larson recently wrote an opinion piece uh, I think it was in the San Antonio Express about how the two-party system he thinks is you know he is one of many voices over the last 200 years who've said that the two-party system is one of the big uh, reasons that we have such gridlock and deadlock in in our political system what are some of the other things that you've noticed when you were at the legislator that just you know a few tweaks here or there that maybe we might be able to be more efficient with our legislative process
1: I think that and, uh, you know people may disagree but I think it's time to lay by the side of the road the citizen legislature that we have and huh. the reason I tell you that is we're the 14th, 14th largest economy uh, in the world and I don't know if I would tell you it's probably be difficult for the legislature to be in session now and trying to decide all these things piecemeal and whatnot but for no other reason than it will allow more voices and different people to serve. If it was a, if it was a job that paid, like you can't get a teacher in there unless they retire. Uh, And for some people that
0: don't know, I mean, our legislator meets every other year for 140 days and they're paid not much as opposed to like California who has a full-time legislator who meets throughout the year, every year.
1: uh, Yeah. And I mean, we, uh, we, we had a, I remember I had to pay my insurance at the end of every year, my wife would say, what kind of job is this where you got to pay to be employed? And she's right.
0: Oh, no benefits either.
1: No. And I remember somebody, when I first got elected, somebody, uh, I can't remember, it was some public forum. Somebody said, oh, you're just going to the legislature to get rich. I'm like, you better come rich <laughs> to the legislature. right?" It's uh, you know, it's going to take a lot of time away from me.
0: Um, so citizen legislator. I mean, the, the two-party system has and will always continue to be a problem. Uh, any other things that you thought, you know, these would be some easy ways to kind of make things work more efficient, Austin?
1: Uh, I think the, the – there's a collegiality in the House that's I, – I, I know it's different than Washington. I could just tell by talking to a lot of people. But I also believe that the collegiality leads to – uh, you know, and for the sake of getting along sometimes that things are going to happen when the majority wants them to happen, but that's just, you know, people, people would come to me as they're so frustrated. How could you let, you know, SB four pass? Well, cause those guys could count to 76 before we could, Sure. you know, it's math. I mean, a lot of it is math, you know, in the end. And I think if people were allowed to represent their districts uh, a little more individually, if people were, uh, not uh, slaves, or uh, so impressed by polls, things could change. But that's you know that's the nature of the beast, and and all of us are are some of us had more um, shield than others. You know, it just I don't know. But we're, we were no one of those 150 was not was immune to pressure from the outside. All of us were.
0: So you're not running for reelection. It's going to be a safely democratic district. Obviously you've got a a thriving personal injury practice. What do you, I'm sure you're not giving giving up your passions about public service and the issues that matter to you other than maintaining your own law firm and continuing to be an attorney. Is there anything else you plan to involve yourself in to sort of try to amplify your voice on issues?
1: Nah, I mean, I I say now, I mean, I, I, you know what I really like doing is I like doing what I'm doing right now is, um, I enjoy the not being in a hurry. I enjoy uh, doing this, man, talking to a friend of mine, talking to you, I enjoy uh, I enjoy my life. And it's the, you know, I went to a forum the other day. I was really glad to see here and, in, in, you know, I represent 12 counties, right? Over two time zones, but here in my home county, I was really heartened to see uh, city council, uh, school board, and uh, county government, county commissioners, all together with a, an agenda that uh, that mirrors what the community needs, and uh, you know I was excited for them because they're excited, but at the same time I was so relieved that I don't have to do that anymore because my my interest in being an advocate is is different now, and I offered to be an advocate or uh, you know a sounding board for you know whatever these issues are, and offer my expertise on how the process goes, you know, uh, as much as I can. And I'm good that way. You know, I know that my time as a, um, as somebody whose opinion will matter, or that people will seek, it'll end. And uh, because everything ends, right. And I'm glad, I'm glad because I need to do something else. And I'm doing it, you know, I'm doing it today.
0: I mean, I love seeing you so at peace with all of this because, I mean, it's such a tumultuous time when you went through that just publicly. I'm sure it was tumultuous in your head and in your family. Um, You know, we are both attorneys. We are in the industry that is probably stricken with the most uh, addiction uh, issues of any industries. Uh, If not, it's 1A, 1B what did it, how was there a point when you decided, okay, this is no longer manageable? Because I think, you know, you're speaking to lawyers, listen to this, people that have issues are listening to this. There's a point where you realize, okay, this is no longer social. This has become a problem.
1: You know, and it's funny is you're, it's hard like to, to get yourself. I mean, think about that is the biggest impediment, at least for me that I had was me. I mean, I couldn't get out of my own way. And the, the minute, the second that I was able to now say it out loud and, and really for me, it was, uh, you know, I, I, I had this uh, encounter with, you know, there was an investigation about the envelope. I went to go talk to the investigator and something he said to me and he, he said to me, uh, do you need some help? This is what he told me. And he wasn't talking about help with my case, with the situation, he was telling me, do you need me? Like, do you need help? And it, it cut right through me. And I, I didn't tell him right then and there, but I, I, I think I left the meeting and I sent him a text and I said, I want to talk to you again. And I went back, I want to say a few days later and and, uh, and I told him like, yeah, I, I need help. I want help. And, you know, you, you talk about, I learned a lot about the difference between needs and wants. You know, we talk about that all the time. Like, do you need it? Do you want it? Well, I realized that I wasn't gonna get better until I wanted to get better. And you talk about our our profession, you know, we, we, I think back some of the lawyers that, you know, John O'Quinn may rest in peace, you know, he battled alcoholism for most of his adult life, you know, and he was very, very successful as a trial lawyer. And, you know, when we started you and I as much younger lawyers, you know, it was, you know, you talk about eating pie in El Paso at seven o'clock in the morning. I mean, we were, we were, you know, working on these really big cases and going from town to town, kind of like the circus. And you, you, that's the way we thought we were supposed to do it is, you know, kicking ass, taking names, you know, being the last guys to leave the bar. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of good examples in that. And um, I would tell young lawyers coming up is it doesn't have to be that way. You know, if I could talk to the 30-year-old me, I'd say, you know, pace yourself, dum-dum. You know, you got, you're going to live a long life uh, if you take care of yourself. And life is better when it's not like this.
0: So some people might not know. I mean, you announced that you weren't running for re-election probably November 8th, I think I looked up. And then November 14th, it became public that there was a, you know, an envelope that ended up having cocaine that fell out of a car you were affiliated with, and you sort of copped all of it pretty quick. You just said that it was when they, he asked you, do you need help is when you really kind of got jarred. How did, how were you justifying it? Or did you even recognize it was problematic prior to that?
1: I, I think I did. I just didn't, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, around here that in the culture that I was growing, you know, brought up in, and I think for a lot of people, they have this uh, attitude and in Spanish it'd be you know, somewhat of a vulgarity, but uh, you know, amarrate los huevos, you know, rub some dirt on it, so to speak. And uh, toughen up or, you know, where's your, you know, fuerza de voluntad. And, and the truth is I had no will, like you don't have it. Like when, you, when you're an alcoholic or an addict or you have this disease, your will, it doesn't work. Like until you start working a program You're not going to learn that you have to give that up. You have to let go in order to, in order to, in order to have some power, you have to give it away. Like you have to recognize that you are powerless over this and it, and that's okay. Like in, in our culture, not just, you know, being from (laughs) order, but as a lawyer, I, I mean, imagine that, like, that's, that's the last thing that you want to admit, but yet in my head, I, uh, you know, I wrote a song about that. It's called Whiskey Ain't Free. And I, in the song, I talk about these conversations that I would have with myself about, you know, what I was becoming and what I was seeing. And it wasn't until it came out of my mouth, the first time that I realized, like, oh, my God, like, this is where I'm at. And uh, it was so liberating, Justin. I mean, I can't even, um, I can't even tell you it was.
0: Yeah. I reached out to you pretty quick after just to check on you and you were in very high spirits and you've remained in high spirits and it's been very, I mean, honestly encouraging and illuminating to see,
1: you know, it, it's uh from the time I, it was almost a month to the day. In fact, it was a, a full month from the day I cleaned up to when, uh, I, you know, and the funny thing is in between seeing, um, the investigator, when you, when I had that, uh, the the conversation with them, you know, I'd already gone, I was already absent, right? Just, but I was hanging on by a thread. And, you know, I I realized that I wasn't going to, uh, I wasn't going to make it if I didn't commit to getting better. It wasn't just enough to put, you know, to, to, you know, cover up the bottle, so to speak. I needed to to commit to getting better. And uh, I was relieved, man, because I I felt free. Like I really did. I I didn't have to, uh, you know, I knew there would be, you know, an avalanche, a press, and, uh, you know, deservedly so, but what really, I remember I was traveling that week in, San, Antonio, in uh, San Francisco, in and around San Francisco with my wife, and so when the news broke that Wednesday night and then early Thursday, you know, it was, the frustrating thing was getting home so that I could see my girls, right, uh, and my son, and because uh, that was the hardest thing, Justin, is uh, I hadn't really while I was coming to grips with a lot of this stuff, I hadn't really thought about how I was going to deal with them, and I wasn't ready. And that—that uh, that was the hardest thing for me. That—that—that that, that was probably one of the longest days of my life, just because, not because I wasn't prepared to deal with it, but just because I had to get to my kids. I had to.
0: What were the steps you've taken to get clean? I know you said you went to an inpatient, and then are you—are you doing group? What—what—what what, what sort of the steps you've taken?
1: Well, you know, the—the the, I got back from California the news broke you know late Wednesday night uh early Thursday and so I I don't think there was one telephone call or one text that I didn't return from anybody that wanted to talk to me uh good bad or indifferent Uh, one because I felt like I needed to and and a lot of people that I love and respect were truly concerned about me and I wanted them to know that uh that I was going to do something to to get better and I didn't I didn't want them to worry about me, and um, so that Friday, I've got a, a a cousin who's been in recovery for ten years now, and she's she cuts hair like three blocks from here, right? So I walked over to her uh, hair salon and, and I told her I was like, Edna, what do I do? And so she dragged me to my first AA meeting, and I haven't I haven't stopped going. And as soon as I went, I was I I was supercharged, man, because I looked around the room and it was probably about. Thirteen people in the room, and we were as, about as disparate as you can get. But I, I uh, immediately identified with each and every one of them, regardless of how different we were, because we were all the same. Man. And and uh, after that, I, I did that until uh, January 14th, and then I went to an inpatient clinic, and I came back uh, from that on February 18th, and I really needed the the inpatient treatment because. It taught me a whole bunch more about how to deal with. You know, I didn't want to become this dry drunk that just, I wanted to be happy. I didn't want to just be abstinent. I wanted to be sober. And I think in the essay, to me, there's a difference between being, you know, clean and sober and being abstinent. To me, sobriety is part of it is maturing in a way that you're able to see these things about yourself and not just because you've, you know, put a cork in the bottle, but because you can uh, accept these things. And I, I come to accept them every day. And you know, there's days where if I feel like I got to break myself down and, and do my first step, I do it because that's, that's what keeps me good today. And um, I don't obsess over the, the steps, but they're always very present. And when I say the steps, I'm talking about 12 steps. Yeah. And uh, you know, I tell people, when you look at the 12 steps uh, in recovery, there are things that people that are, you know, take the alcohol and the drugs out. There are things that the people that are healthy do on a normal day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. They really are. Yeah. Uh, I would encourage anybody that's not familiar with them to look at them because it might help you understand, you know, an addict or an alcoholic that you have in your family uh, on how to deal with them and, and how to uh, understand what they may be going through. And I, I can tell you that, you know, my, my wife had to detox from me, I believe. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it's funny, but… Everybody around me had, you know, you just, you mentioned something about seeing me, like you had to detox from me too, man.
0: <laughs> Sorry, Justin. Well, you know, um, <laughs> you talked in your article about um, one of the things that sort of uh, you thought maybe pushed you over the edge was was dealing with grief. I lost a sister um, in 1997. You lost a sister in 2017 how have you been able to or how have you approached dealing with the grief outside of of substances you know it's
1: I could not you know it's funny is when you know first my best friend died in the middle of the session on a Monday and then my sister died on a Monday morning too and and I, I tell you Monday because Monday always seems to be used to be one of these days that I I just absolutely hated before this and then absolutely hated it after but I I really blamed them. Like, how could they do that to me? Like, and it just seemed to me that before this, like nothing really bad had ever happened to me. I just didn't, I didn't feel that way. And, and I, I selfishly use those as an excuse to, to pile on myself more. And I, I, you know, an addict, an alcoholic will use a lot of different ways to justify and to have commiseration for their sickness. Well, it's not, it's not good enough. And it's a disservice to the people who they were I mean the people they were and um, now you know it's funny is you know Larry right my friend Larry <laughs> yeah. his, uh, his brother died a year ago right around this time and his father passed while I was at the clinic so I couldn't be here for him but you know I, I, I was talking to him about his brother uh, in fact the other day when he came and you know he just like really simply told me like his brother's name is Bobby like that Bobby was okay mm. and I thought to myself that that's exactly right like all that's okay you know it's what wasn't okay was not being able to get around it and i didn't give myself you know it's it's hard to grieve in the legislature because you don't give yourself any time and uh i didn't give myself any time and i didn't give myself a chance and the reason i and again i don't know whether it was what was coming first you know this this failure to control my emotions or my addictions and, and disease piling on. Uh, I don't know, but it was hard to separate those things after a while. And uh, I mean, I, you know, I remember you telling me about your sister and I couldn't imagine, like I couldn't put myself in that position. And I mean, I don't know how you dealt with it. I mean, I, better than I did, I think.
0: I was a kid. <laughs> I was 15. Different experience. I still lived at home.
1: <laughs> and I, 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 you know, it's it's funny as you said, I mean, your parents, like you can't I see my mom, like today's my dad's birthday. So I went over to see him, uh, you know, before, before this, uh, you know, we're, we're out there staring at each other and I can see like my dad staring off in the distance and I know what he's staring off in the distance at. And uh, to put that in perspective, I don't care how old you are, like losing a child is, is hard. And, and I thought how selfish of me that this is how I'm reacting to my grief and uh, you know, I, I I shut myself down where I couldn't be there for my mother and my father when they really needed me. I thought I was, but I wasn't. Yeah, I was, I wasn't there. Uh,
0: how's the how's the reception been from colleagues and professionals and friends and family? I mean, has it been pretty supportive? Because you know, I think it's funny in our industry, there is a lot of support and there is a lot of you know cheering for people to fail i mean that's just that's a sad true undercurrent about some people in our profession i mean have you run into that
1: you know what i i am uh this has reaffirmed my my belief in the goodness of people good Does even people that cheer you to fail like i can and there's very few of them i think and they're, you know, they, I think they, they have more license to be vocal because social media allows that kind of stuff. But the truth is, even in that, uh, I've learned something and I learned something about myself and how to be more tolerant. And I mean, hell, I don't know. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know what their reality is. And a lot of times, a lot of that is projection. And, you know, it's a, some sort of unhappiness with them. And, and I can't blame them. I mean, maybe they have a real axe to grind with me. I don't know. Uh, you know, I I had a run in with a a lawyer about, you know, a year and a half ago, and I felt really bad about it. And uh, I I just, I really went off on this lawyer during a deposition. And we had a a depositions in this case, a week ago. And I could just tell that I'm rubbing them the wrong way, because I just did then. And so we started to get into it again. And I started losing my temper and, and losing my cool. And you know, we, we took a break for lunch and I, I called him at his office because we we're doing it via Zoom. And I, I said, look, listen, man, I, I, uh, I apologize going way back when because I was wrong then and I'm wrong now. And, you know, I was I was gratified by his response. He's like, you know what? I forgive you and thank you. And man, I, I felt 10 feet tall after that. And I think a lot of that is is that way. But I mean, to your point, most people that are friends of ours that, you know, that you and I know in the business and, and beyond, man, have been extremely supportive. I mean, I got calls and, and messages from people all over the country that uh, that understand. And even if they didn't, a lot of people that didn't, they just kind of there, there was something about uh, the story that spoke to them, maybe to their humanity or they could see my humanity or my um, my vulnerability, which I'm good with that. Whatever it was, it resonated. I, I, I'm. I was grateful then, and I'm grateful now.
0: I mean, your courage to accept it and really tackle it head on and own your own narrative has been really inspiring to me. I mean, so many people let other people write their story, and you've just refused to allow that to happen. I think it's. I think it's really been wonderful. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, a little more lighthearted issue. Uh, your music, huh? Thank you, Justin. You're welcome. Uh, What do you have? I'm sure you have some piece of advice for somebody who maybe is listening and going, shit, this stuff maybe has gotten a little bit out of hand for me. How do you, you know, people probably don't want law enforcement talking to them about getting help as their first step. What would you recommend for somebody who's, you know, maybe, maybe realizes they have a little bit of an issue and, and they want to try to head it off at the pass?
1: I would... I would recommend them to look for in just about every community, especially right now, because of the uh, pandemic, you can get uh, on AA.org. You can get on and get on a meeting, Uh, look for the groups in your community. Uh, I mean, reach out to me. Um, I I will, anybody who, who wants help, I'll talk to anybody and it's part of, and not because I'm not anywhere near being a sponsor. I'm somebody that's being sponsored, if you will. But um, I can help somebody get to where they need to get, if that makes sense. And uh, I can share, you know, the biggest thing that, that the group that AA, that therapy has shown me is we, an alcoholic by himself is really bad company, but together uh, in groups, we're better. You know, we, I, I get so much out of listening to somebody else's story as much as I do sharing mine. You know, there's a lot of things that I can, and so anybody out there that can listen, that's listening to this, or that's read that, it's sharing and then listening because you will be able to identify, and I think once you do that, you'll you'll be able to see that you know what I'm not that far off from this. This is uh, for better or worse, I can identify with it, and I can see a way out. And you know, I I could see some of these people in the group that have been uh, in sobriety for a lot longer than I have, and I, I was good, envious of that. Like, I wanted that. Like, and I, and I want it today. And I've wanted it for the last, you know, uh, 301 days today, I believe. And uh,
0: congratulations.
1: Thanks. And, and I, I hope I want it tomorrow. And, you know, I, I don't peer too far into the next day, but there's a point in the evening where I, I can kind of look and say, you know what, the day's almost done. And I can see tomorrow. And I hope I get there. And I'm good with that, man. And I can't – I want – for anybody who wants that or wants to feel that way, uh, I can tell them you're never out of the fight. Uh, I I thought I was, and uh, here I am.
0: Well, I'm I'm glad you're out of that and into this fight. Um, Do you think you'll get involved with TLAP or any of those lawyer – you know, there's groups of lawyers and there's a state support group, TLAP, that helps – Lawyers that have these types of issues. Do you think you might get involved and and try to help others?
1: They asked me, yeah, I, and not not that I've, I've just kind of been picking my spots because you know I don't want to overwhelm myself with, uh, you know, part of recovery is practicing mucho take it easy, you know, with a lot of stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so take I, it I, easy. Uh, take it easy, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I do that, you know, and I but. I think in that, uh, you know, I'm all in when it comes to trying to help because it helps me. And, you know, the program is somewhat selfish, too, like you, you know, part of that selfishness is you have to cut away things from your life that they weren't working for you. And and that's selfish, right? Um, Put yourself or take yourself out of situations that that weren't working for you, like not, you know, going back uh, to the legislature, And you know, that there I. you know, I had this conversation with friends, you know, across the district, you know, about the politics of it. And, you know, could I run again and and maybe won? like, yeah, but imagine how miserable of a slog that would have been having to. Uh, you know, I I, and I tell my story not because I'm I, I feel like I have to keep apologizing to people, but it's just my reality. But I don't have to defend uh where I've been and, and where I'm at now, like it is what it is. Right. And, um, I can't live my life apologizing over and over again for what I've done. Uh, you know, I was sorry then, but I, you know, uh, you got to move on. You have to forgive yourself and you have to forgive.
0: And Are you enjoying practicing law more or less now?
1: You know what? I, I really, uh, tremendously, man. I was really, and you know this in our profession, uh, how many of our colleagues like really burn out, and maybe it's not alcoholism and addiction, but it's something else, man. It makes them sick. You see it, and I was—I don't know if it was a combination of the legislature, but I wasn't happy doing this. And lo and behold, once I got, uh, you know, once I was abstinent, and then a little bit more on the road to to sobriety. I started enjoying it more. I started uh, taking a lot of pleasure in, in some of the things that I was good at in terms of my practice, and I'm more involved. And you know, I feel like I, I feel like I'm not, I feel like I do less but more. It's weird, man, and it's, uh, it's really good. And you know, for me, I needed the world to slow down a bit, and it did. You know, and it's, it's a shame why it slowed down, and, and I, I know people are suffering, and, and that's. Uh, and it, it weighs on me, but, you know, I try to silver line a lot of the things that have happened. You know, we were talking before we got on about how good this Zoom thing is because it allows us to spend more time at home and, you know, you got a baby and, you know, isn't that great to be able to do that? Yeah, it's great. My son's not old enough to like interrupt you, like crawl up on you and like.
0: No, he just stares at me and farts. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's, that's his that's his good day. <laughs>
1: so, So that's, that's, that's a brilliant way to have your day and the world slowing down as such, uh, allows us to do that. And so I'm, I'm enjoying it. You know, when we get done here, I'm going to the studio for, you know, next three or four hours and, you know, then I go home and, um, I got to, uh, check homework and, you know, let's,
0: let's talk about something real, real quick. Hold on. so that's a clip provided by poncho is that you singing
1: that's me man
0: what's the name of that song
1: that song is called what you won't take and uh it's uh i I say like all good songs were about sex and drugs and this one is about sex and drugs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, was, that was a question. What's sort of the, the inspiration of the album? Is there a theme to it?
1: Well, what there is. I wrote a lot of songs I wrote, uh, almost all of them in the throes of, of my addiction. And I was, I was looking at myself like really hard. And this is the way that I could, you know, you talked about when I could talk or say these things about myself. Well, I was saying it in these lyrics a lot about, I was looking at me and... It was really the only way that I could speak to me. And, and uh, the, the album has this, it, there's a tinge of sadness in it too, because some of the songs I wrote around the time, um, my sister died and, and my friend died. And, and uh, the name of the record is called 57. And it's named after the highway that connects us coincidentally enough to, to San Antonio, right? <laughs> and uh, it's a road that runs, north and south and it runs all the way almost to Panama and it runs to Canada huh. and it's wrote in and out and uh, I the the title track it's probably one of the last songs I wrote but uh, I also wrote it as I was starting to get better and and really look at myself and so the songs have and the album has that theme as an undercurrent.
0: Did you write all the songs?
1: All of them. I, I actually, I co-wrote one of them with, uh, Terry Canales, my, oh. my, uh, heterosexual life mate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Is he going to have credit?
1: Yeah, he gets, a, he gets a songwriting credit on that.
0: Uh, what do you play on the album?
1: I play guitars on, on every track. Um, uh, we're, I may play some percussion on it, not drums, but like some noise on it today. Uh, I do all the singing on it. Um, and I'll probably play some piano on a couple tracks too that we're about to finish.
0: Do you still have that wild piano?
1: Yeah, the upright baby grand?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I just got it tuned by the way. It's uh it's in really good shape.
0: So how many songs are going to be on the album? 9.
1: It's nine nine songs.
0: All right. Um Poncho, what's next, man? Day to day.
1: Uh you know what? Uh, like I said I'm going to the studio today um God willing, I get tomorrow. I'm going to work on this old beat-up car I got. What is it? <laughs> it it's a uh, 72 Triumph. I'm uh, I'm fixing it up. And I've got, you know what? I got too many damn cars, Justin. It's one of these things uh, that uh, I start, and I don't want to sell them, and then I want to sell them, so maybe I should sell them. But uh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to keep doing this, man. I'm going to keep um, working on myself. Um, I'm going to keep, Hanging around with my family as long as they'll have me, uh, checking in on my friends, you know, taking a look at my cases and my clients and, and trying to do the best I can for them. And I'm going to finish this record. And, you know, I already started writing songs for another one. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of have to, you know, I want to finish this and I'm almost finished with it, but I couldn't help myself. And, uh, you know, as soon as this is done, I want to start working on another one because I really enjoyed the process and I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about, um, uh, music, you know, I'm, I'm self-taught, you know, uh, I feel like Ferris Bueller never had a lesson.
0: <laughs> you know, when we used to hang out on that case, sometimes I'd see you the next day after a depot, and you're like, Oh yeah, I went and played open mic, but you would never tell us when you were playing.
1: Well, I, I was still, I still sucked
0: pretty well. Bad. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I haven't heard the new album yet.
1: Well, I, I was going to say that's still going to be a matter <laughs> of opinion, right?
0: <laughs> so, uh, do you remember when we bought eight pieces of pie?
1: I do, man. I, that, uh, do you, you know, remember I, why? I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I'd like to say that we bought it because pie is good.
0: We had a waitress who said, Hey guys, I'm, it's the end of my shift and there's a competition for pie. And she was like, nobody wants to buy pie at seven in the morning, but you know, I got to ask. And we said, how many different pies? She said eight. And so we bought a piece of each and we brought it to the defense lawyer in the depots who we had for whatever reason started bringing uh, sugary treats. And we put down eight pieces of pie and she started screaming at us saying, we're the reason she had put on weight. She didn't like us very much. She wasn't the nicest person I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs>
1: What, what, what were we in Paso doing? Like which depots? I know it was on the bus case, but what depots were we doing?
0: So that is where that company's maintenance department was located. So their head of maintenance was out there, and then we tracked down their former head of maintenance, and I took him for dinner at Artavino's, a place you had recommended. Um, you know
1: that, that place. Do you remember what I would drink when we would go there?
0: No. The
1: I would drink gallons of Malibu rum with gallons of pineapple. Oh.
0: <laughs> I do not remember that. Oh, I do remember yeah. you uh, falling off a stool at uh, Camino Real. So
1: that, that was a pre-planned move.
0: Definitely. I don't, I don't think so. But you were you were happy about it.
1: Hey, remember that? That's the hotel that's got that uh, the Tiffany Dome. Yeah. There's a bullet hole in it. Do you know that? Uh uh-uh. Yeah. That, that hotel is awesome, man.
0: So I think we both stayed there that night and decided we're never staying here again. But we'd go back to the bar.
1: The bar is awesome, uh, yeah. as bars go. I don't really hang out in bars anymore. Well, that's but. a
0: good yeah. That's a good choice for you at this point to not <laughs> hang out in them. Um, well, so I want to ask you this. I always do a wish list for the show. Uh, who do you think I should get on my podcast? My my number one's always Coach Pop, which I'm sure he'll never do it. But I
1: Why not do the, this podcast.
0: I don't know. He doesn't do interviews. Period. Well,
1: it's not really an interview. It's just a conversation with you. Know. I all.
0: mean. I, I, there, I don't even see a forum by which I could explain that to him, though.
1: Uh, you know what? Why don't you try and get, uh, can you get Tim Duncan on? That would be awesome, dude.
0: You know, um, I might, but he's not real chatty. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, you know what would be a really good guest is uh, the author, Sandra Cisneros, man. She's awesome. Man. I he agree. I've,
0: I've tried to reach out. It's hard to find contact info, but I, I have reached out. She's got like a publicist.
1: How about this guy? He's a, he's a New York Times bestselling author. His name's Shea Serrano, man. How about that
0: guy? I've reached out to him. Really? Yeah.
1: I mean, I'm batting 1,000 here.
0: I know. So Cheryl Scully's coming on Wednesday to talk about her book, Greedy Bastards, about the <laughs> union contract fight. She was a city manager here for 15 wow. years.
1: What's the name of the title?
0: Greedy Bastards and then How a City you know, Fought Unions to Avoid Bankruptcy or something like that.
1: I like the title. That's good. It mean, comes
0: that. from the police chief police union chief saying that she was trying to paint them to be greedy bastards. So I've got an advanced copy. I'm halfway through. It's like a pretty neat history of San Antonio local politics.
1: I, uh, it's a contact sport.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Apparently when she got here, it really was. And apparently when she got here, they were very much in the uh, old days of doing things. So yeah, coach pops on my list. Shay's written down right here. Patty mills too, because Patty has been really involved in the city. He didn't just move here, buy a place in the Dominion, and disappear. He lives in Southtown, and he's involved with charities. And oh shit, Southtown, Yeah, I, mean, I love
1: Southtown. He just there, there's a really good uh, there's a really good Sephardic uh, bakery in uh, Sephardic uh, Jewish bakery uh, in Southtown. I don't know if it's still open, man, but I used to I used to get my bread there all the time.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't know of a bakery down there. There might be. I mean, that place it's flipped so much recently. Do you get up here much?
1: Uh, I haven't, I'm going to be up there. I got an eye appointment on Monday. I got to go see a uh, doc about that. But I mean, I, I love San Antonio, man. It's uh, it's such a great town. And it was, uh, you know, when, when me and I first opened up the shop and I moved the, the kids up, there's just me Rossi and the girls before Ponchito was born. Like the, the, uh, the kids went to St. Anthony's school. They really took us in. We were really part of the community. I really miss it. It's, it's when we were closest as a family, because we, we were, uh, you know, this unit, if you will. And so I have very fond memories of San Antonio and I've got a lot of great friends in San Antonio like you and and I have a lot of good memories
0: of it. Well, I got plenty of office space if you ever need something up here.
1: Well, I I may. I, uh, You know, I I was, uh, every time I was, uh, we saw the Eagles in concert in San Antonio, it's been about a year ago maybe. And uh, Joe Wall said, I love San Antonio. I spent a year, I spent two weeks here one night.
0: (laughs) Was that the show where Joe Walsh and the old and the rest of the Eagles played together like and yeah, played yeah. some Joe Walsh stuff? That was a great show
1: it was I, that comment It just one it encapsulates a lot of how my life was the last four years, but believe it like how all of Joe Walsh's life was
0: <laughs> you know you've got some Pontuisms. I was telling Lindsay today that you know one time you told me that your wife was um from Mexico, not deaf. That was one of pon- the ponchoisms because apparently you said I was talking loud to her because of her accent. <laughs> That's right. And then one time I was asking you because you're right on the Rio Grande and I asked you sort of about having a path down so you could fish or whatever. And you said, if if I make a path down, then people have a path up. But I sure think, what do you come up with this crap? <laughs> <laughs> uh Ponchoisms. okay poncho that's gonna do it man thank you so much for doing this um yeah of course we'll be in touch but i hope you continue to share what you're going through because i think it's going to be really helpful for a lot of people even if it doesn't change their life they know that they are not experiencing whatever they're experiencing alone
1: you never are man and uh, nobody has to go through this alone and i mean that and uh, thank you for having me on justin it's really good seeing you uh and uh, I value our friendship and I love you, man. Be well.
0: Love you too, brother. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. Take care, man. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Alamo Hour. You are all what make this city so great. We hope you join us next week. In the meantime, subscribe to our podcast. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash AlamoHour or our website, alamohour.com. Until next time, Viva San Antonio.